Hi, I'm Megan. I'm Colin, and this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Timed Pet and Pet Perennials. Once we've decided that hiring is right for us, we've got our mindset right, we have our why, we've got all those things lined out. The next decision that we have to decide is whether to hire an employee or to bring on an independent contractor. While they may sound very similar, the distinctions are very real and there are use cases for both of them. So we're really excited to have Kim Otoni Tank back on the show. She was previously on episode 153. Today, she talks about the ins and outs of what are the differences between an employee and an independent contractor and why you would use one over the other. Now, let's get started. My name is Kim Tony Tank, and I've been in business in the San Francisco Bay Area for 31 years now. Um, I live now, for the last five years, I've lived out of the area, two hours away, and I manage my business mostly remotely, but I do rely heavily on my employees for that reason. So um, that uh, having employees continues to be a huge part of my business, especially now. Yeah. Well, and you've been, so you've owning, you're owner of Apron Strings, uh, pet yes. sitting, and yes. you hired your first employee back in the mid 1990s. Yes, in 1996. I had been in business for six years. Wow. And so what, what was it about that time that made you decide this is the time I need to hire? Well, I had been working constantly for six years, seven days a week. It just, um, when you have a pet sitting business and you do a good job, work seems to explode. And I am terrible at saying no. And so, I mean, in this business, if you want to have any time off at all, you have to either know how to say no or you have to get some help because the business will be constant. There is no such thing as days off that just happen organically. Although I will tell you, COVID, <laughs> COVID created one day, we've had one day in the last, I think, around 25 years or so. We finally got a day with zero visits. But wow. um, yeah, <laughs> and it didn't even happen until this last March. I don't know what happened. The stars all aligned. It was just weird. And I, I just felt like something was completely out of whack. But um, so, you know, we've had, we've had visits scheduled every day for many, many, many years. And so if I had, wanted to do all the work myself, well, I would have never gone anywhere or done anything <laughs> besides <laughs> pet sitting. Um, that first year, six years was a busy time for me because I had young children. And I knew that my life was all about the commitment to raising them. And I, as a mom, I was very busy, but I also was running a business that has a lot of the same qualities. Um, You can't just put it aside and decide you're not going to do it today, just like you can't with motherhood. So I started thinking, you know, I've got to do something because I don't see doing something else. I was enjoying the flexibility I had working around my husband's hours. And I didn't see choosing another career anytime soon. Well, apparently, I know that was 25 years ago. I haven't chosen another career. I'm still doing this. And (laughs) the reason is largely because I got help. Um, And it was a scary thing. It was not in the plan whatsoever when I first started, which is why when I hear people say that, I always think you might change your mind because that's what I said too. <laughs> well, and as you said, part of that scary process of bringing people on to help is is also knowing how to delegate to them. And I think that's something that you've had to grow and learn more about over oh, yes. the years. 
It was a real struggle. Um, I hired my first employee knowing I needed help, but I didn't know what to do with him. And I just started, you know, have every once in a while, I'd have him go do a visit. And I I just really had to learn how to delegate. And it, it grew over time. Um, as I became more in need of help, I managed to assign work and pick people to do it. Uh, for example, I hired in 96. I didn't know I was going to have child number three at the time I hired. I had her in late 97 and there was a need there. Uh, I had to go mm. to the hospital and have the baby. And uh, I had people working that week or and then uh, two or three more weeks for me while I stayed home. And so that taught me a lot. But I was still in the early stages where I would ask my employees, you know, if they could do a job. It was pretty inconvenient. It's changed so much over the years because now I just assign all my work. I don't ask people about every job that comes in. So the delegation, the amount of work that I put into delegating work is so much less than it was in the very beginning. And it was just a learning process. You know, how do I assign work? Who is going to work when? How are we going to set up the schedule? It was all very gradually. It took me years to learn that. And I like to think now that You know, I do talk to a lot of people who are hiring for the first time. And I like to think now that from what I've learned, I can help them speed up that process. It doesn't have to take years. Um, (laughs) I'm just really slow learner sometimes when it comes to things like that. You know, the business is my baby. It's very important to me. And I know everyone has that that feeling about their business. But uh, it, delegation, you know, it can be something that that can be learned. It just took me a long time. Well, and I think part of that, too, is something I know you do is is you delegate by day of the week. Well, I think many people also try and delegate by work area or service area. What What's kind of the thinking behind That's, how you manage that? That's correct. The Well, there are a couple of different reasons I assign by day. Um, I have fallen into, well, it's been quite a while. We've been doing it this way. My sitters work set days. And because I want them all to have at least two days off a week, it gives us a little bit of wiggle room if I need them on a sixth day. Um, In California, on the seventh day, you go into overtime pay, and I try to avoid that. But the biggest reason I try to avoid more than that many days in a row is simply because people need a break. Uh, A well-rested pet sitter is a happy and productive pet sitter. Um, So I like to assign by days. And that way the sitters know in advance what days they're going to be working. So if they want to plan a social life, they know that, you know, I'm off on Wednesday and Thursday every week or Saturday and Sunday, and I can plan. And I expect to receive a schedule on the other five days. So I don't really have to ask, are you available Monday morning? Because Kim, I have someone who works for me named Kim, is on the schedule every Monday through Friday mornings. So it takes away having to ask if she needs to be off, she will request the time off. But but if I don't hear that they have requested the time off, then I know I can schedule them and I put them on the schedule and then they see their schedule. So it's pretty easy for me because I have people expecting to work certain shifts. Um, And the reason I can schedule this way by day rather than by area is we have a service area that theoretically any of our sitters could do any of the work. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's not an incredibly small service area. Let you know, um, it's hard to define the center of it now. I don't live there anymore, but it's like from my old house. I would say it was maybe five to seven miles in any direction from my old house, mm-hmm. and it's possible for one sitter to handle a job on one end of the territory and go to the other end. I prefer not to. It's a lot of time in the car and driving, but if they had to, they could do it. And I'm kind of the default when it comes to crazy schedules. If I'm in town working, I'll go anywhere because I can make myself do anything. But <laughs> with my sitters, I I try to cluster the work to make it easier. And also, you know, it's more efficient to pay people. I pay by the hour. And the less time they're in the car between jobs, the uh, more work they're able to do on a per hour basis. Mm -hmm. And I save money that way. So I do try to cluster the areas. That is true. But again, my service area um, is set up so that if someone had to, they could do all of the work. And and I will say that with COVID, everything, you know, came into play like that. When, when, I used to have 20 visits in a morning and you know, maybe three main areas. I could have three sitters doing that. But when it got down to two visits in the morning and they were on opposite ends of the territory and I needed them covered, then I simply have one sitter do them. Uh, it costs me more in transportation costs, but it's it's. It's the cost of non-efficiency. I try to be as efficient as I can all the time, but every once in a while, that's going to slip through the cracks. And you don't not do work because, you know, you, you're making less profit that day. You just do it and, and try to avoid that situation in the future. And part of that, it sounds like, uh, is, you know, you're, you are able to control uh, the schedule and assign, you know, I think that's a really powerful word when we're talking about hiring. And I think, one of the differences here is we're talking about hiring, but we're not, we haven't really talked about who we're hiring. And so that eternal question of hiring an independent contractor versus an employee. So I'd love for you to kind of line out what some of the major differences are between those when you're looking to hire. Yes. A lot of people, when they're discussing this subject, will say, well, it's so complicated because there's no one sentence written anywhere to define quickly the difference. And there are some gray areas when it comes down to small, specific things. However, in my mind, it's very clear to me. Um, The difference between an employee and a contractor is this. An employee is someone you hire to work on your team who you can train and supervise. A contractor is someone who is running their own business that you're borrowing to work in yours. Mm. They are a separate business entirely. And that's why there are so many differences in payroll and how you treat them because they're really completely different entities. Yeah. Really thinking about the, that control that you're able to exert over them because if they're their own business, Right, you can't tell them to do certain things if they have their own operating procedures and way of doing the business. That's right. I mean, I I like to use the plumber reference a lot. Like, 
if I'm calling a plumber to come to my house, he is going to provide all his own tools. He's going to tell me when he's going to show up. He's going to tell me what he charges. And I'm not going to sit there and tell him how to do the job. Um, and that's really what using another business is. If this plumber guy worked for me all the time, you know, say I had a lot of plumbing problems or something. If he was at my house all week long, on a regular basis, and I was telling him exactly what to do and giving him the tools, um, the IRS would probably say, you know, I think that's your employee because he's there a lot and you're supervising and you're controlling. Um, you're probably even at that point telling him when to show up. Um, that's an employee relationship. And I know that sounds like a bizarre example, but that's really kind of <laughs> what, what it's all about. Um, the reason we don't withhold taxes with a contractor is solely because they are their own business and it is presumed that they are filing all of their own income taxes and self-employment taxes through their own company. Mm. That is the only reason. It's, it's not set up as a different way to hire people that's easier. If it were only because it was easier uh, that people use contractors, well, then everyone would use contractors. You know, the, the people who work at the grocery store would all be contractors. If it was all about just making things easier, it was all because we don't want to do payroll taxes. Nobody would do payroll taxes. I'm not a masochist. I don't really want to do payroll taxes, but I do it because that is what is entailed in having an employee. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, um, Something everyone needs to consider when they're really sitting down to decide, because this will change the entire focus of your business once you hire and depending on the status of the people that are working for you. Mm. It, it will dramatically dictate exactly how you run things. Have you heard about Time to Pet? Doug from Bad to the Bone Pet Care has this to say. Time to Pet has made managing my team and clients so much easier. Our clients love the easy-to-use app and scheduling features, and our sitters love being able to have all of their information organized and easily accessible. My favorite feature is the instant messaging. By keeping conversations on Time to Pet, we are able to monitor our team and ensure nothing ever falls through the cracks. If you are looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show can get 50% off their first three months by going to timetopet.com forward slash confessional. You also talk about why it's important to use the correct terminology when we're actually talking about our staff and when we're talking to other people about them. Why is that? Yes, that's, that's pretty important because if you're talking to a client and say you... You know, you can call your sitters whatever you want to call them, uh, pretty much anything. But I wouldn't call a contractor an employee for this reason. If you if you're talking to your client about how things are done and anything about training or insurance or the responsibility of those that are in your business, if you use the term employees, well, I'm going to send one of my employees. You just sort of let it slip. You know, no big deal, right? Well, when the client Here's employee. It conjures up uh, someone on your team who is receiving training from you, is completely insured by you, not necessarily by themselves. They're going to assume they're covered with workers' comp insurance, and they're going to make 
some assumptions that will cause them not to ask you clarification questions. They probably won't say, well, what happens if someone is hurt at my home and they're injured on the job? What are my responsibilities? If they think that you have employees, they're probably going to assume you're covered because in almost every state, you are required to carry workers' comp on your sitters. And for those who don't know, workers' comp is the coverage that covers your employees if they are injured on the job. So your clients can get an impression that you have more control and you have more responsibility than you actually do. Um, If you're using contractors, they are their separate business, which, you know, most of most pet sitters cover have insurance that covers either ICs or employees that work for them. The reason that ICs are encouraged to have their own business is really to to show that they are in business for themselves. It's it's another indicator that they are not misclassified. Um, but anytime you have a contractor relationship, the, the company can say, well, it's, you know, this happened, it's on my contractor's watch. Mm-hmm. And so you have to talk to my contractor about their insurance. So it, oh, it, it sort of automatically opens up that there can be two different companies you're dealing with because you are dealing with two different yeah. companies. Where if someone's an employee, it's going to all, all of it, come the, the buck stops here at you know, my desk because I am responsible for everything they do on the job. And uh, that's, I take it very seriously, but I'm also happy to have that responsibility because it is, um, it's very comforting to my clients. Personally, that can feel a little, a little intimidating, right? Of going, oh, oh, I mean, it really does all stop with me. It does. Right. It does. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, you know, but that's, that's business. It's like, we have to put on our big girl pants and, and deal with it because I've always said that, you know, pet sitting is a relatively easy business to start. I mean, we can all put out a shingle pretty quickly. You know, nowadays it's like all about, okay, go get your insurance if you need a business license. And, you know, if you know animals at all, you're probably ready to go. But once you start hiring people, it's, really different. You have to become a business person because you are affecting other people's lives. It's not just you. When it's you, you know, just you and you, oh, you didn't pay your estimated taxes on time and you get a penalty or whatever. It's just you. But when you have people working for you and you make some major mistakes, it can affect their lives. And I think it's a responsibility to be a real uh, business person. One other thing I wanted to mention about using the correct terminology is that can also be when you're hiring people too. You need to not give the impression they're going to be an employee because they will have misconceptions about the job when they find out, you know, they have to sign a contract and that they really need to take care of all their tax uh, issues, um, that they may not have all the protections that an employee would have as far as workers' comp. Hmm. Um, and lastly, I just want to mention one thing I see on the forums a lot. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a member of various pet sitting forums, and I do enjoy answering questions about staff. Um, a lot of times people will post a question, and they won't say whether their staff is an IC or an employee. And I will tell you that about 90% of the time, I can't answer the question unless I know which status they are. Mm. Because... Um, because the answers are almost always different. If it's a training question and they're talking about ICs, well, you're going to have to step lightly. You can't really train them. If it's a scheduling question, if it's a calling out sick question, if it's a time off question, all of those answers are going to be different 
for an IC versus an employee, nearly all of them, because that's how different those statuses are. So if, you know, that's why using the correct terminology, when people come on and ask questions, it's really important to say right off the bat. Some people say, well, who, who, those of you who have ICs or employees, how do you do this? And I need to know which one, even coming down to job interviews, you know, employees have legal protections that ICs do not. So there are certain questions you can ask. You cannot ask an employee. Whereas if they're an IC, it's really just a conversation between the two of you negotiating a business deal. So I'm, I'm, feel really strongly about that. As yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so that's that's kind of why uh, it's important to know the terms. And I think even many people who I see posting as well, they might not even understand the difference of, of who they actually have going out into the field for them or think they have one thing, but they're actually treating them like another. So what are some of the advantages of having an employee over and against bringing on an independent contractor for your business? Well, I think there are many, many advantages. And um, let me just say that if you want to go and find out what the criteria for where you live is, you know, um, the United States is a wonderful place. Every state gets to make their own rules about just about everything. So (laughs) some of these things are state specific. I mean, it's crazy because what goes at what, you know, People in California have different overtime laws than other places. I mean, it's just a it's just a barrel of fun. But uh, when you want to figure it out, there's different criteria. There's different tests of what um, constitutes an, an independent contractor versus an employee. And and I won't go into you know where all of them are, but uh, one of them that's becoming more and more popular with the states is the ABC test, which is a simplified, very simplified version of how to tell. And it's very, it's really somewhat strict. Um, but all of the tests, one of the key factors is the element of control. Um, and control is kind of a vague word. What does control mean? And so that's where some of the interpretation comes in. Control um, can be anything from the training aspect, telling them how to do the job, telling them when to do the job, that sort of thing. How much supervision are you monitoring them? I mean, there are many ways you can interpret control. For example, a lot of the the app, uh, the um, Pet sitting databases have tracking software um, allowing uh, one to track their ICs or employees. And and I'm sure that uh, I read one ruling on a state of Missouri incident where the fact that the ICs were tracked on the software uh, led them to believe they had too high of an element of control for them to be Mm. two true contractors. So control is one of the biggest issues of all. Wow. Um, and, uh, that is really the first prong in the ABC test, just to, you know, like there's the Borello test, there's, uh, there's the, um, uh, economic realities test. There's all kinds of ways to determine, um, and every state can look at this differently. But like I said, on the ABC test, the first prong is control. And unless they can prove that someone has complete control, they will not be uh, considered a contractor. The B prong is, um, is this the core work of their business? A true contractor should not be doing the core work of your business. Well, if you're a pet sitter, uh, the core work of your business is pet sitting. So for those states that go strictly by that, that use that B prong, that's a problem. 
Mm. Um, a contractor is, um, in that case, if we go back to the plumber, a contractor's that plumber that comes to your pet sitting office to fix your plumbing or that writer who does a blog for you couple times a year or someone who writes an employee manual, but those are all people you can contract with, but people who do pet sitting are employees. So that's what the B prong talks about. And then the C prong talks about that they really need to be an independent established business. And in most cases, they're not referring to someone who you hire and say, okay, well now we're going to set you up with a business and go get you a business license so that I can call you a contractor. It's not like that. They do actually look back to see if they've already established themselves previous to working for you as their own separate business and offering their services out to the public. Um, This is where it gets kind of scary when I see a lot of questions online about, well, how can I keep my contractor from working for other companies or doing work on their own? And the answer is you can't because you would never tell another business where they can work or what they can do with the rest of their time. Mm -hmm. And I think some people are somewhat shocked by that because they didn't do their research. And I feel bad for them. Um, because you, it's a whole can of worms that they didn't realize they had. (laughs) Well, well, I think, I think that comes with a lot of frustrations that come when people are trying to hire of, they get frustrated that the person that they hired isn't doing what they expected or isn't doing these certain things or meeting these certain expectations. And a lot of that may boil down to, they hired the wrong kind of person. They hired an independent contractor versus an employee and they don't have that kind of control. And so they're left going, man, I want control. How do I do this? And like legally, well, you actually can't. And you're kind of stuck with what you have. You can't. Yes. You, you, and, and, and it's funny because one of the things that people talk about is, well, I don't have employees because I've heard they're really hard to get rid of. And, and you can, you know, go, you have to go through all this process and everything. And actually, I don't know. I, I see it kind of the opposite And I'm in an at will state. So I can basically fire anybody for any reason other than a discriminatory action. Um, And yet with a contractor, you have a contract. So (laughs) I don't think people realize is you can't just say, oh, you're done with this job. I don't like how you're doing it. You're fired. Um, Actually, most of the time you have to fulfill the contract. And there are specific things in the contract of of whether or not that person will be terminated from the job. And it's usually contracts are usually like on a time or a project basis. Whereas an at-will employee, if I'm not happy, I can say you're out of here. I mean, I have fired three people in in 25 years. and. Uh, it, it, it was just, that's, it was quick and he, and, and over with very quickly. Um, I'm always prepared, you know, for any kind of, you know, I have an employment attorney that I fortunately have not had to use in a very serious way. He's advised me, but I haven't had issues with that. And I know going back to what the advantages of the employees are is I can direct and control how the work is done. And if I don't like it, I can sit down and talk to them about it and guide them. Um, it's, uh, you know, yes, having employees, I have to pay them for everything they do. And even if they do a lousy job, and even if they break things on the job, I end up paying for it. That's where we go back to, oh, the buck stops here. Mm -hmm. Whereas a contractor can show profit or loss, they can be responsible for their losses. And if they don't make a profit on that certain job, that's really not your problem. Um, Where was I going with that? (laughs) 
But I can sit down and have disciplinary meetings mm. with an employee, whereas a contractor, you're only really control, you're only able to control the outcome of the job, which always kind of cracks me up because what does that mean? That the animals are alive when you got home and <laughs> that's the outcome of the job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But with an employee, I can control, I can step in if it's problematic. I can discipline them and give them warnings and I can offer training and support to improve them and to, to, and I can provide training. Whereas a contractor, you're not doing that. They're, they're supposed to come to you as a skilled professional. That's why you're hiring them because they are a professional with their own business and you're hiring them for their skills. Whereas an employee, I can take someone off the street and train them and say, you're going to be my next great pet sitter. And they just might be. So there is a huge difference. Um, and I think when you make the choice on who you're going, uh, what status you're going to go with, it's really important to look at what your goals are. I, I think you should choose your status based on the goals of your business and then deal with the tax repercussions that come from that mm. rather than picking a status because it's easier tax-wise and then having to mold your business to fit that. Because one way you have the business that you truly want, and you're going to deal with those payroll taxes and stuff. The other way, you got the tax situation that you want, but you're having to compromise on your business ideals just to fit that. So it's all about your choice. It's a very important choice to make. Um, I mean, employees, you can build a team. What a lot of people don't realize is that if you have contractors, it can be a red flag to have them on your website because technically they should have their own website for their business and be promoting themselves. Mm. Um, if you're going to show your team of sitters, you have to realize that that heavily looks like they have the type of commitment that would be for employees. And I know we haven't really talked about it much, but one of the big problems with using contractors is there is such a thing as a misclassification audit. Uh, the states like us to have employees and, because it gives them greater control over collecting those taxes. I'm not saying that contractors don't pay their taxes, but it's a little looser system. When you have an employer taking out the taxes and they know that they have to do everything correctly or the IRS may take a look, they're going to do it correctly and based on a certain guideline. Mm. Whereas if you pay a contractor, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll pay their, their taxes, but you don't know that they are. And I realized, well, that's not my problem and all that. But I'm just using that as a reason why the states like the employee model. Um, for And I think that has come to the forefront, you know, with COVID, everything changed for the first time contractors could file for unemployment. Right. Um, but the companies that they were working for were not paying into the system. 
Whereas companies like mine and other sitters use employees, we have been paying into the unemployment system. So if we had to collect, our employees had to collect, at least we had been putting in some of that money. Mm. So um, it's been a real strain on the system. And what it has done is given the states a lot of information on who is working as a contractor and who is not. And I have read cases where they are using that information to conduct audits to be sure there is a true contractor relationship. And so it's scary because I've known a number of sitters who are not and way prior to COVID who've been audited and lost their case and they were deemed to have employees and not contractors and they had to pay back penalties, taxes, and it can be in the tens of thousands of dollars. So we haven't even talked about the perception that employees are cheaper. That's, I mean, excuse me, that contractors are cheaper. That I could tell you if you lose an audit, it's not. <laughs> um, it's going to make up for everything you've saved, quote, saved over the years. If you have to pay $75,000 in fees, and I know people who have. Yeah. So, and I don't want to come at this from fear. No one should choose something over fear, but it's a very real concern because if you have employees, they are never going to come after you and say you need to switch. If you have contractors, they might. And you might pass an audit in 2017 and then lose an audit in 2019 because you had a different auditor who wasn't in a good mood that day. And I, I, I believe I've heard of cases where things like that have happened. So the safe way is to have employees. And I think that the way that most sitters look at their business, oh, let me back up a little bit. When people hire for the first time, the biggest thing I hear them say is, I'm afraid to give up control of my business by having someone help me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I find it shocking, I guess would be that the industry standard for many years appeared to be using contractors. I don't know if it was because people weren't truly aware of the differences, but anyone who wants control, that's an easy answer. You need to have employees. So, um, yeah, um, I don't find them to be more expensive. My payroll costs, when I take into account what the wages are, what my payroll taxes and everything on top of that, my workers' comp and paying mileage, I generally am paying less than a lot of people who are using contractors. A lot of them pay uh, 60 to 70%. I'm actually under 60%. And I'm not talking about just wages. I'm talking about everything. Hmm. Well, So yeah. it's all on the numbers and structuring it correctly. And I think if more people were familiar with the numbers and had helped with the numbers, they would figure out that they can manage it and still make a profit. Well, yeah, because that's a, 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 a common question. And I know that one that even Megan and I kind of turn over of, okay, well, I'm feeling, we're feeling really, really busy. It'd be nice to hire somebody. But how do I make those numbers work? Do I always need to raise my current prices to still remain profitable and still bring somebody on? That's a really good question. And that depends on a lot of factors. What's interesting is that the minimum wage, and I know it's all changing. We're going to see what happens in the next few years. But um, 
in most parts of the country, it's 725. In California, it's 13 if you have under 25 employees, 14 if you have over. And in certain counties, it is 15 and above. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to knock on wood. I don't know why my county is not one of the higher ones because it's a where I service is fairly affluent. But you have a wide variation there. So, And then you have a wide variation of fees across the country. So the answer is it's it's going to depend. It depends on your fees in relation to the market in which you are, and it's going to depend on what your minimum wage is. Now, now I, I bring up minimum wage not to suggest that someone only pay minimum wage, but it is the starting point. You can't go below. You go that or above. So um, someone who where the minimum wage is 725 has a lot of room. They can offer jobs that are well over minimum wage. Uh, where it's close, around 15, you don't have quite as much wiggle room to pay more. But it's all about the numbers. It's assessing. You take your minimum to see what's the, what's the minimum that I can pay someone. Let's just pretend for a second that nobody cared whether it was minimum wage or not. And then you need to look at your numbers in your state and see where you are with those, those, uh, uh, that other stuff you have to tack on. We all have to tack on 7.65% for our half of Social Security and Medicare. Uh, then the rest is kind of like, well, in California, I have a certain percentage for unemployment insurance. Um, that's going to vary with the state. I, I can tell you what mine is, but it's going to be different for you. Um, there are different little taxes that come with each state. And then I like to figure out, even though I pay my workers' comp separately from my payroll, it doesn't go through my payroll company, but I tack that percentage on. Currently, mine is only three it's a little under 3%, which I'm really happy because once upon a time, it was close to 15%, which is Whoa. ridiculous. Yeah. So... That's another number that has to be factored in. So I won't get into all the different little things that are going to go into that number, but I right. like to say it's usually around 20% of your wages. Sounds like a lot, but uh, not really if you look at it this way. Um, on Let's say you were paying somebody $8 an hour. 20% is $1.60, so then you have $9.60. For an hour. Now, again, I'm not suggesting someone only pay minimum wage, but when people talk about that you can't possibly make a profit, I'm just using this as an example. What's, it's a little known fact that if you pay close to or at minimum wage, you really do need to pay mileage on top of that for your sitters because it has to do with, oh, and again, and I'm not an, an attorney. I've just Obviously, I've just done a lot of research on this, and there was this Domino's ruling a few years ago where the Domino's pizza deliveries were making minimum wage, but they were figuring out that they were spending a few dollars an hour driving. Mm. And so that caused them to dip below minimum wage. It, it was They were not earning minimum wage once they paid for the cost of the travel at work. We're not talking about the commuting back and forth to the pizza place. We're talking about the delivering of the pizzas. So... Um, Domino's lost that they had to pay them more money to compensate them for their mileage. Um, so the nice thing about uh, mileage reimbursements, if they are done correctly and accounted for properly um, and you know, documented, they are reimbursements. So they're not taxable. So I always tell everybody, if you're going to pay, say, $10 an hour, um, and then you decide, well, I better cover the mileage. I'll pay them $15 an hour because it's, you know, maybe they're going to spend $5 an hour. 
it's far better to pay them $10 with a mileage reimbursement because you will save taxes. They will save on taxes. It depends on what state you're in. I save on workers' comp on that amount. I don't know that that is true of everywhere. I don't want to, I'm sorry if I'm getting into too much detail, but these are the kind of things, yeah. not to scare anybody off, these are the kind of things you just have to know. It's not difficult once you gather the information. So, so let's say you're paying $8 an hour and you have um, your taxes and workers comp, bring it up to nine sixty. And then let's say you figured out that it's around, they're, they're driving around six miles every hour. It, it, right now, the mileage reimbursement for the federal is 56 cents. That's so a little over $3. So you've, you're, you're, you're up to twelve sixty an hour. Um, and say you charge $20 a visit and you figured out that they're doing about a visit in a half an hour. So you're at $30 an hour, the gross, and you're only spending $12.60. Now, you know, you're probably going to pay your people more, but in that instance, but I'm just saying that's not even 50%. So that's just an example of the numbers, how it can work. Um, not you do not necessarily have to pay by the hour. Um, it's that may be state dependent. Um, I have, after many years of trying all different ways, decided that that is what works best for me. Um, you can certainly break everything down by visit, but you still have to make sure you meet minimum wage. So if you're guessing how much time it takes to travel, but your sitter gets stuck in traffic for a half an hour and you're paying them a flat rate per visit, you know, they probably won't notice. You may not notice, but technically you might have gone under minimum wage. So um, that's just something to be aware of. It doesn't happen very often, but you need to be aware. Also, some states now are doing mandatory sick pay. Um, and in California, it's been that way for about five years, I think, where everyone is eligible for a certain amount of paid sick time. Um, they accrue one hour of sick time for every 30 hours worked. So that's actually another thing to factor in. I figured out how many cents per hour, you know, average that's going to be included in. But the reason I bring this up now is because the way they track that sick time is hourly. It's based on the number of hours. You can't just tell your bookkeeper, well, they did 14 visits this time, figure out you know, how much sick time they accrued. Mm. They need to know the hours that they worked. And in California as well, they, they, are, they want you to have records of when your employees are working. They want hourly records. I've never been asked for them, but I know they do. So I have to track the hours anyway. So it just makes sense to pay by the hour and it relieves a lot of the um, stress as far as how do I pay them for errands? How do I pay them for meet and greets where I'm not charging the client? If I'm paying a flat rate or a percentage, then I have to sit down and make some decisions on how to pay them. Mm -hmm. Whereas my sitters just, you know, start at say 10 o'clock finish at 1230 if they're my midday person and I pay them for two and a half hours. If I ask them to run an errand in between, well, that's all part of the clock. So for me, it's, uh, it's, it hasn't made it easier, but I've, but I know I'm doing it right. I, I did payroll last night because sure. I had a crazy date. 
talking to you. I had another Zoom call and I'm like, oh, it's late. I got to do payroll. Well, it used to take me five minutes. Now it takes me 30 minutes. Not that big of a deal. And I like the way that it's being done. I feel good about it. Yeah, my sitters are happy with the way that they are being paid because I think people understand hourly because that's how most of the world works. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it is It is what we're more used to. And I know, I know payroll, that just, I mean, just that word is going to sh- send shivers up people's spines right now listening <laughs> to this. Is, is it, I know, it's, you said it takes yeah. 30 minutes. Is it, is it really all that scary? Not at all. And, and I will say, okay, the 30 minutes is gathering, is adding up their hours, checking it against our app to, you know, make sure it all matches. Um, and I send it to a payroll company. So I'm sure. not the one actually plugging in the hours and deducting the taxes. But that, if I had a program to do that, wouldn't take very much longer. I just use, I use a bookkeeping service because um, when it comes to sending those taxes in, and as the as my business grew and the numbers got bigger, I wanted it to be done correctly. Like I, I think I mentioned last time, when you make a mistake and payroll's a hundred dollars and you didn't, you know, send in seven dollars, that's one thing. But when it got up to you know many thousands of dollars over the course of a year, uh, I didn't want to make mistakes with my filing. Right. So I use a professional and it's very easy. I always tell people though, when you start off, especially if you say only have one employee, I always encourage everybody to learn to do it themselves because sure. you will have an understanding of where your money is going. That's really important. You know, don't rely on someone to say, well, I need, you know, you've got a $400, um, um, you know, tax uh, withdrawal coming up for UI. And, and you're like, well, how did that happen? If you don't understand what uh, it helps you to plan better your payroll. If you, you know, again, that goes back to allowing your 20%. I mean, I, uh, I think a simple thing to do is, you know, when you, when you take in money, have a separate payroll account, transfer it over, allow for that 20% or whatever your percent is going to be. And then you're going to always have the money to pay all that stuff. It's right. pretty simple. That 20% that we're talking about here, adding to the wages, what all, you know, what other kind of obligations do we have for an employee? What does that 20% make up? And what other things do, do we need to be providing okay. and doing for the employee when we bring them on? Well, we have to make sure that we take care of all of our legal obligations first, which is the withholding of their taxes. So um, the 7.65% is Social Security and Medicare. And the other half is taken out of their check. Uh, We take it out. So we have to set that aside, but it's money that their check was reduced by that amount. We have to file their income taxes. And then we have to do all of our, um, any type of, um, if your state takes out money for disability or um, you're paying into unemployment insurance. So all of those those obligations. And it sounds so complicated, but really a bookkeeper can spend just a few minutes, you know, guiding you in the beginning to explain what all of that is. Um, We have an obligation, you know, in most areas to cover them with workers' compensation. Now in California, if you have one part-timer, you have to have workers' comp. Um, Some states, if you have three employees that you meet the threshold for workers' comp. In Texas, you don't have to have workers' comp. I think it's the only state. Uh, But I can't imagine sending people into uh, houses without it. Um, I always tell everybody that is the one thing you do not want to skimp on. Um, Because if you have a claim, you know, that's big enough, it can put you out of business if you're not covered. (laughs) And it's the law. So, you know, so, um, so there's that. So most of our obligations 
are those legal obligations, but also not just not just the tax part, but w- to follow wage and hour laws. So it's very important to become uh, fully educated on the various um, aspects of your state. For example, um, I actually prepared uh, a friend and I prepared um, uh, a course that we wrote about employees and independent contractors. And I listed some of the different things that you need to be aware could be uh, a requirement in your state. For example, um, in California, we don't have a minimum shift law. So I can send somebody out for one visit. I'm not obligated them to pay them for a certain amount of hours. Um, I do believe there are some states that have a minimum shift law. And I'm not sure it was some state in the... Um, Northeast that had a three hour minimum shift law. And I was shocked. I thought, oh, that's not great for pet sitters. Um, But it's something that if you're in that state, I would call the state and uh, Department of Labor and find out for sure. Um, You need to be aware of when someone goes into overtime. So most places it's over 40 hours in a week. California, it's after it's over 40 hours a week, but it's also after eight hours in a day. Um, We have a reporting time pay. Whereas if I tell you you've got four hours of work, but it gets canceled, then I need to pay you for at least two. But some people get confused that there's a two-hour minimum shift law. It is not the same thing. It's all on the expectation of the worker, Mm. uh, what they were told they were going to have. Um, In California, and I'm sure in some other states, but I don't think very many, I, I, I need to research this, we have split shift laws, which is a big thing to take in consideration with pet sitters. Because if I send someone out for two hours in the morning and two hours at night, then long story short, I have to pay them for an extra hour. It's (laughs) I say long story short because the long story is that if they make a certain amount over minimum wage throughout the course of the day, you can reduce that they that hour is credited to any amounts that are paid over minimum wage, so it can reduce it somewhat. You know, they just couldn't make it super easy. <laughs> but um, I know I think they spend all day dreaming up to you know how can we how can we uh, drive our employers crazy? <laughs> but um, so we have the split shift law, which you know I pay when I'm you know sending someone out multiple times a day. And that is right up the alley of most pet sitters. And that's another reason why I do the scheduling that I do. Because I take into account, you know, it's much more efficient for me to have a morning person and a night person than to have somebody doing the split shifts all the time. Costs me a lot more money. Mm. And of course, then you got the whole other, well, what about sending more than one sitter to a job? Well, we could probably talk about that another time, but I do that all the time. <laughs> so, and uh, my clients are used to that. So um, I I won't sit and say, oh, you know, it's going to work for everybody, but it works for us. We, uh, we look at all of those laws when we're scheduling sitters mm. to be efficient. Um, and, but another reason I do that is because of just my sitters set schedules. They work certain shifts. They have an expectation of their job, which leads to higher satisfaction on the job, which guess what? Leads to higher employee retention. Mm. So it's all about, you know, um, I have a lot of theories with employee retention. And I think if you 
keep people happy and give them a predictable schedule where they're not like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get called up and work seven days a week this week or not at all next week. If it's a predictable schedule, they'll tend to stay longer and they'll be more experienced. So my clients may see two or even three sitters on a job, say they're gone for two weeks. They probably have a weekend crew and they'll have the AM and the PM person during the week. Um, They may see different sitters. But because those sitters are happy and stick around, the next time they go away for two weeks, it's the same three people. Mm. Whereas I could promise you one sitter for two or three weeks, but they might be so burnt out by the time you go away next time that they don't work for me anymore and it's somebody else. <laughs> so um, there's a huge advantage of having, re- you know, retaining employees a long time because they're more experienced. Right. Um, and who doesn't want that, you know, rather than a constant turnover. So, you know, um, there's no one way that's going to work for everybody, but over the years, I've found what works for me. Well, and on that, you know, I'm sure people are listening or have been doing reading and research and, and going, well, you know, is an employee the right choice for every situation and circumstance in business? And so I did want to kind of pick your brain on that a little bit and, and kind of play both sides of this coin a little. Right. Right. Um, A lot depends on where you are. I would say almost all the time. Um, If you are in a state, I mean, it seems crazy to say that, but in California, I just wouldn't even recommend anybody hire a contractor, even for, you know, occasional use. I I, I think they, there have been a lot of rulings lately and they're making exceptions and they're changing things. But until we know for sure, I I just caution people about that. So that's one of the states where it's it's somewhat difficult. Um, If you are a business where you don't need help very often, and I mean, I mean, I like to cover your vacations or something like that. And you find that you are in a somewhat icy friendly state. <laughs> and I don't really know how to define that exactly, uh, other than I would certainly um, talk to people in your state and I would talk to someone at the Department of Labor and get their take on that. Um, if, if you are in an icy friendly state and you're going to use someone occasionally, absolutely, that's probably the way to go because... Um, there is a certain amount of setup to having an employee. Uh, although most of the expenses having an employee are based on percentage. So if you only use someone once in a while, then you're only paying all that other stuff once in a while. The only exception I've found, and this can be a problem, is the workers' comp because there may be a minimum. You know, when it comes to reporting Social Security and Medicare, they don't come to you and say, well, you have to have a minimum of $1,000 a year or something like that. If you only have an employee for $100 a year, you got to send in, you know, your $7.65 and and the same for your employee. But with workers' comp, there may very well be a minimum. Like when I first hired my employee, it was $500 a year. I'm sure it's more now. I don't know. But so... It it was a certain percentage they were going to charge me, but if I only had a little bit of work for him, you know, maybe I wasn't even going to have $500 in wages and I was going to pay $500. (laughs) Well, that's where, okay, it it kind of doesn't make sense, but a little asterisk there. It does make sense if you're going to continue to hire. You have to start somewhere that first year. With your workers' comp setup, you may end up paying a huge percentage because of the minimum. But the next year, you're going to have that policy and you've got two or three people working for you. Before you know it, you're paying well above that minimum. 
Mm. And your percentage may not be that high. So it's a cost of that. It's the cost of the stepping stone to the next level. You can't get to two or three people till you hire the first one. And that first one, because of things like that, may not be profitable. That's a case where if you're never going to hire beyond, say, one person and you're only going to use them occasionally and you're in an icy friendly state, by all means, that's probably the choice for you. Mm. But so many people start off hiring and once and when they find out it works for them, you, what do you know? Well, we, well, now we need a second person because that person's asking for time off every so often or <laughs> we're getting busier because we can take more jobs. Well, then you're growing. And, and when you're growing, I, I advise having a team of employees because you want to be able to direct and control them and have control over your business and have quality standards mm. on, on, on how it's done. You want to be able to train them. You, you, if you want them to say you want them all first aid trained, well, I pay for that for my sitters. And that way I make sure it gets done, you know, yeah. <laughs> rather than, you know, trying to find people with the qualifications. Right. Well, again, it gets back to that, setting those expectations for what you want out of the person that you're bringing on into your business. And if you don't have clear priorities or a clear understanding of exactly, because I think Many people who are looking to hire actually do want a lot more control than maybe they're willing to admit or think would be you know beneficial to them or whatever and and so they start getting into this this middle ground and then they convince themselves, well, I don't have to pay all of those taxes up front, so it's cheaper, so I'll just go that route and mm-hmm. then and then look up as you said, year two, year three, adding people going, "Why can't I control anything? why you know what's going on here?" <laughs> Right. I think you have to you have to force yourself to look at the long term. Am I just going to use somebody once in a while, twice a year when I go on vacation and never grow? Or am I going to look to grow this business? And if you're going to grow it, it's it's, you know, think about it. You're you're trying to grow it using other business owners. And is that a practical model? Well, um, for most people, no. Um, you want to have control training. You want to be able to train the sitters to your quality standards so that things are consistent. You know, I, I'm going to, when I'm done here, I'm going to send a little email for a couple reminders to my sitters, you know, don't forget to make sure you rinse out all of the cans and put them in recycling. I can do that. Those are my quality standards. And most of the time they do it. Um, it's just, you know, um, Sometimes people need reminders. And it's that kind of thing on a daily basis that we're doing all of the time. And if someone's a contractor, you know, that's kind of a fine line. And you're like, well, well, you know, how is anyone ever going to find out that I told my contractor to do this? Well, probably not. But what if that contractor decides that they have a dispute with you? <laughs> so people ask me, well, how do people get caught? You know, no one's going to tell. I mean, so I trained my contractor. Well, that's all great as long as you get along great with your contractor. Mm-hmm. But if something goes wrong, they can report you. Um, people get um, some of the ways people get audited are um, someone gets hurt on the job and, and they go to the hospital and they tell them it was a work injury and the hospital uh, asks where you work and uh, reports it to the state because they think it should be a workers' comp claim and they find out there's no workers' comp policy. And that can be a bugaboo. Or, or they file for unemployment, which previous to COVID, you really couldn't do if you were an IC. And they look up the employer and they say, oh, well, they're not paying into the system. Is this really a contractor relationship? But also um, someone who's angry with you can, <laughs> can say to the state, you know, I don't think I was treated like a contractor. I think I'm really an employee. Mm. So um, 
It's it's just that's like I said, not to be uh, looking at it from a point of fear, but these are things that you must be aware of, um, and a lot of it is your risk tolerance. Uh, mine's really low. I don't I don't want to I don't want to worry about my sitters getting bitten by a dog. I mean, I do worry about things like that, but as far as the financial aspects, I mean, I, just because I carry workers comp doesn't mean, hey, have at it, go and <laughs> go into that lion's cage. Um, no, but I mean, <laughs> I really care about my staff, well, yes. <laughs> but knowing that financially I'm protected, yeah. should something like that happen? My my big one, big workers comp claim wasn't a dog bite. I, I mean, we've never had a, a, a dog bite where anyone had to go in for care, which is knock on wood, pretty good. It was slipping and falling uh, on a rainy metal grate in the street, mm. getting the mail. Getting the mail is very dangerous. Let me tell you. What I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was was a big thing. Pet Perennials makes it easy as one, two, three to send a heartfelt condolence gift directly to someone with a broken heart. They have this awesome direct-to-client gift service that takes the effort off of us and ensures a thoughtful, personalized sympathy gift reaches our client or employee. Now, all gift packages include a handwritten card, colorful gift wrap, and shipping fees across the U.S. and Canada. They will be releasing an array of milestone gifts and greeting cards throughout 2021 that can be sent to celebrate birthdays, extend get well wishes, and to welcome new and rescued pets. They also have a few gift options in case you need to send a sympathy gift in memory of a special human client. If you're interested, register for a free account to receive discounted package pricing rather than pay consumer prices. Since the service is leveraged on an as-need basis, there are no monthly or annual obligations or minimum purchases. Learn more and register by going to petperennials.com slash pages slash GPS and enter the referral code PSC at registration. You'll be given a unique coupon code to save $2 off any packages you send in your first 90 days. I know many times throughout the our conversation here, you've mentioned that it's dependent on state. It's dependent on state, dependent on where you are. Where should business owners go for proper information about how classification works for their staff and what their obligations are for them? Uh, Yeah, I can't emphasize it enough to do some research with your state department of labor, whatever that may be. They're called all different things in every state. In California, we have the, well, we have a department of labor. We also have employment development department. And when I go to their website, just to give you an example, they have um, services for employers and they put on new employer seminars, which is what I did back in the back in the day before I hired that first guy. I went and attended uh, a seminar where they went over all of the obligations, all of the legal requirements about hiring. And they were pretty darn clear it needed to be employees, even back then. So the reason I say go to your State Department of Labor is because that's the entity that will investigate you if there is a problem. So if you know that you're following what they told you, then odds are you're never going to you know, not pass any kind of employment audit with them because they're the ones who gave you the information. A lot of people say, well, my accountant said it was okay. Well, some accountants are up on this sort of thing, but that's not their expertise. Mm-hmm. They are Their expertise is taxes. And they don't 
really have any risk if you or if they gave you the wrong information and you get audited. Well, chances are it's just more billable hours for them. I hate to say that. I don't think accountants are motivated that way, but they don't have um, any. Um, can I say it's it's not going to be on them. It's going to be on you. Right. Um, if if you make mistakes and they're just handling the tax, not the legal end of it. So it's really important to go to your state department of labor. And I, and I think it's good to talk to other people in your state, but I would call them. And I know people probably don't want to do that because they're probably going to hear what they don't want to hear. <laughs> you have to have employees, but yep. might as well hear it now um, and get off on the right foot. Then to find out later after you've, you know, have a hundred thousand dollars of payroll that now you have to go back and pay penalties and taxes on because right. that's, that is what can happen. Right. Um, so like I said, I always go to the people that are going to come, you know, go after you if you get it wrong. <laughs> so, right. And, and that's, you know, as you said, as the, the buck stops with you as the business owner. And if you're the one bringing people on, you need to understand your obligations to them, understand um, the rules and regulations and the considerations that take into place for where you're going to be operating and then operate in the best Mm -hmm. interest for not just for your business, but for those people you have out in the field because you want them to be taken care of as well, right? You don't want to be taking advantage of them just to save a few dollars in taxes at the end of the day. And it, it, yes, taking advantage of them is never going to come back in a, in a positive way in the future. Um, I look at, you know, for me, my employees, it's not just about the legalities. I, I look at our relationship far more than they work and I pay them. I, uh, I won't say like we're a family, but I feel like that's kind of the, the culture is that we are a team of people who care about the same thing. And anything I can do to support them, to make their work day better, to make sure they, they are appreciated. And we talked about this before. I don't, I try not to get mad at them for things because I just, right. I've done everything wrong myself <laughs> in the past. I mean, I've made every mistake in the book. Oh. So, um, you know, I, I was in town. I actually worked the last couple of days and one of my sitters was supposed to return a key to the locker, but she didn't. And I was on my way to a house and realized, you know, I, I couldn't find the key and I had to meet up with her and her, she had to call her mom and have her leave the key behind a pineapple on her porch. And I went and got the key and I, I could have been frustrated about it. And it's just, it was a little annoyance. If it had been one of my employees, I'd be paying for them to go pick up that key. But you know, it, stuff like that happens. And she sent me an email. Oh, I'm so sorry. I did that. I won't do that again. And you know, I'm like, you know, yeah, I would prefer the key go back to the locker when it should. But, um, you know, it it worked out because I got into the job, which is really, really the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all have little annoyances, but if the work gets done at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. So, yeah, there are things that go wrong. There are annoyances. But um, I try to support her in a way that she knows, you know, she's not in big trouble. Um, she she rec- she's one of my youngest sitters I've ever had work for me, and she recently sent me an email that she wants to become more involved on the back end of the business, help me with marketing and social mm. media, and um, perhaps even training some of the sitters. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this she wants to be involved in the business because she for her it's much more than a than a paycheck. She wants to be have a bigger role in the business, and I'm excited 
because I thought that's, you know, she really loves it. So uh, it's, there are so many wonderful people out there like her, you know, and, and my life has been enriched by knowing these people, by having this work relationship with them. Um, they bring so much to the table and uh, I'm just really proud of them, how they perform as a team. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. Again, when you start thinking of them as, as team members, as valuable assets, as um, people with things to, to contribute to the business that's going to make you better, not just more profitable, but you as the business are going to be better at the end of the day because of them. Exactly. And it's, you know, uh, everyone's, you know, people think, well, I'd like to find a clone of myself. Well, you know, everybody brings their unique talents. And I've, I had a sitter who, I had a couple of dogs that didn't, I tried not to take it personally, but just wouldn't bond with me. And they bonded with one of my sitters so well. And I thought, wow, I'm so glad that I have her. Yeah. Because um, clearly she had, you know, some connection with these dogs. And and that's something that's not all that unusual. It's funny. We have a, a few cats here and there that take a dislike to certain people. I don't know. We have one cat that does not like two of my sitters, likes everybody else. So that's one case where, okay, I do have to do some fancy scheduling around that sometimes. But for the most part, we don't have issues like that. But but most of the differences with the sitters, it's very positive. They they um, they bring something special to to each visit, and um, and I know it is hard to find people, especially right now. I think since the COVID and unemployment being readily available, but I do believe there are a lot of people out there. Uh, my last two hires last summer have been great, and I think they didn't have jobs before, so they were on unemployment. That may be the case, but uh, uh, there are definitely people out there. Um, it's just a, it's a struggle to find them, but there are many people out there that will that want to be part of your team. And on that, if somebody is looking to hire for the first time and they are trying to figure out a path forward, what what are some what's some advice that you would give to somebody who's looking to diving in? Well, um, as I mentioned before, uh, first I would you know. I'd, Go just play around with your State Department of Labor website. Um, I would spend some time on the forums, but do, you know, do understand that people come at you with different opinions and there may not always be the correct legal information. So take everything with a grain of salt, but it will get you a feel for people, how people are talking about their staff. Um, you know, there are plenty of books on hiring, um, a lot of webinars. I would check out uh, YouTube and all of that, but specific to pet sitters. And of course there are a lot of pet sitter coaches these days, and some of them spend a lot of time on hiring. So that may be something to look into if that's your personality type where you want to get your guidance that way. So, um, you know, and if you have any mentors in the field, if you have um, other people who have hired staff in your local area, it is great to, you know, um, I, I if somebody calls me up and says, uh, well, I just have not too long ago. Can I have coffee? I'll buy you a coffee at Pete's. Can I pick your brain for half an hour? I'm like, of course, because you know me, I can't shut up about it. I'd be talking about it anyway, coffee or not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sure, bribe me. Um, right, yeah. 
And I would do that. I would do that. I would like, Hey, can you, you know, can I have you for an hour of your time? Can you please tell me about your experiences with this? Um, just every avenue of, you can find. Um, when I was first hiring, there were, um, there were, I couldn't find anybody who had employees as pet sitters in California, but uh, I did it anyway. And, and uh, gradually more people started to have employees. Hmm. Um, so, but I love mentoring people about this very topic because it's very near and dear to my heart. It's, uh, you know, I just, I couldn't have gone on this long without having a team. Kim, this has been a real pleasure. Um, thank you for coming on today and encouraging us the power of employees that it gives us control, consistency, and predictability, not just for ourselves, but also for our clients. And that at the end of the day, it's all about making a structure and building that team around us that's going to make us better. Um, we obviously did not cover all of the possible topics. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know there's so much more out there. Um, how best can people get connected with you and start picking your brain, whether they bribe you with coffee or not? <laughs> I would love that. Well, I'm, uh, they can find me, um, you know, via messenger. It's, you know, Kim Otoni Tank. Um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, my email address is reservations. So that's reservation with an S at apronstringsonline.com. I know that's hideously long. My website is apronstringsonline.com. So you can find me, send me an email. Um, I love to, I was gonna say it's, it's my favorite topic, but then, you know, there's goats and there's other stuff too, but I'm very passionate about, um, employees. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to help. Yeah, goats and new grandbabies and all sorts of exciting things. So, new uh, grandbabies too. Yes, <laughs> Kim. Kim again. Oh God, uh, don't even get me started. Oh we'll yeah, go there. we got to close. That's why we're closing it out. Sorry, I said the word. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Kim, it's been a real pleasure as always. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure for me. We spend an awful lot of time trying to decide if we're going to hire or not hire, whether it's for us or whether we need to wait a little longer. But very few of us actually take the moment to step back and say, but who am I hiring? What am I hiring for? And that's why I really enjoyed my conversation with Kim to break down the ins and outs of employee versus contractor, to decide and understand what the advantages are and what our obligations as the employee are. That when we ask questions about hiring, we need to understand what we are trying to hire, whether an employee or a contractor, how much control we need to have over the person that we are going to be bringing on to the team. Are we going to view them as an independent business or do we need them to be an integral part of our operations? There are places for both of them, but I like how Kim laid out the advantages and the disadvantages for both of them and how it's not a perfect fit in every situation that it really takes understanding our state's laws, rules, and regulations, and how we need our business to operate. That language is important when we are communicating not just to our clients, but then to those that we are hiring, so that they fully understand exactly what we need, that we lay out those expectations early, and we reinforce them often. We want to thank our sponsors, Time to Pet and Pet Perennial, for making today's show possible. We also want to thank you for listening. And if you have hired an employee or a contractor, we'd love to hear how it went for you 
things that you've learned, and recommendations that you would have for other pet sitters. Get in touch with us on social media at Pet Sitter Confessional. Head on over to PetSitterConfessional.com to check out past episodes. There's a contact form there. You can call us all different ways that we'd love to hear back from you. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll be back again soon. <laughs>